Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Antioch becomes the focus. Really, this is a, a shift from Jerusalem to Antioch. Antioch is where the Gentiles are predominantly. There's a Jerusalem, there's a Jewish uh, group there, obviously, and, and so there's some wonderful people in the in midst of this city, but this becomes really the Gentiles' Jerusalem, if you want to think of it. This is the center for Christendom. And when we look at the church in Antioch, what we'll see is a very balanced church. They're focused on the word and worship, but they're also focused on sharing the gospel. Really, in many ways, it's my prayer for Hoffmantown. That we would be a place where the word is taught unashamedly, unequivocally, with authority, all throughout the entire body of believers. And we would worship the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, everything about us. And not just on Sunday, but every day. And we'd be a light into the Jerusalem, into the Judea, into the Samaria, even under the uttermost, wherever God calls us to be. Because that's what this is all about. It's all about sharing Christ. It's all about knowing him and learning to follow him. And in the midst of life, the opportunity to share with those who have no hope, the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, when the saints are grounded in the word, they will have a strong witness to the lost. There will be a balance in the church between edification and evangelism, worship and witness, teaching and testifying. That's a tremendous truth. We can strive for that balance all day long. We can try to program it. We can try to systematize it. We can try to make it happen. But folks, only when we're grounded in the word of God does the word of God help us to be balanced in all of those things. God himself knows what that balance is. And as we yield to the Lord and we are celebrating him and recognizing him, surrendered to him in everything that we do and everything that we say, not only on Sunday morning, but all through life, the Lord Jesus Christ is able to balance us between edification and evangelism, worship and witness, teaching and testifying. As you look at Acts chapter 11, verses 19 and following, You're going to see four men listed here. And I think it's important to understand this in this context. These men were given to the church. They are godly men. They are men of the word. You're going to see a shift in focus from Jerusalem to Antioch. You're going to see a shift in focus from the Jewish believers now to the Gentile believers. God beginning to spread the gospel through the believers to even the uttermost. You see about Stephen and how he had an impact, Barnabas and Saul or Paul and Agabus as a prophet hearing from the Lord. But I would put it this way, and I think this is so essential, especially in our day and age. Every church needs godly men who proclaim the truth of God's word through their words and their lives. Every church needs godly men. Now, ladies, I'm not leaving you out in this, okay? We need godly women. No question. Thank God for those who who serve and help 
in so many different ways. We need godly men whose lives match their words and that don't just show up on Sunday morning and fake it, but live it out sacrificially day in and day out. Men of the word, men grounded in the word, who know God, who know who they are in Christ and are able in the midst of life and all the difficulties of it to follow the Lord and as a result to have a testimony not only the body of believers, but also into the community. The first person we'll look at is Stephen. And look at the first part of this. I want to look at his sacrifice. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Now we saw the gospel brought to Cornelius. Here this Roman centurion is, is saved miraculously. Peter has this tremendous vision, and God uses this in order to make sure that Peter knows, yes, you, you take the gospel to those that I tell you. Don't call them unclean. I want to take the gospel to them as well. And Cornelius and his household and many of his friends are saved that day. The Spirit of God comes upon them just as the Spirit of God came upon the Jews at Pentecost. Peter, getting back to Jerusalem, is accused of eating with uncircumcised Gentiles. Totally missed what God had done. Totally missed the glory of God in the circumstance and focused in on something. It was legalistic, cultural, to be sure, but they missed the point. Now in the midst of this, we're seeing the spread of the gospel. We see that these individuals that accused Peter started to rejoice when they recognized that the Spirit had come upon the Gentiles, and now there are those who are, because of the persecution that Saul actually initiated, were scattered. They're teaching, they're preaching the gospel, but some are only speaking the word to the Jews alone. Even though they're going into Gentile areas, they're only sharing the gospel with the Jews. John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26, a beautiful truth, and it's true in our lives in so many ways because a lot of this deals with dying to self. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Our lives are about learning to die to self. It's that simple. Discipleship is an individual who's made a conscious decision to follow Christ. I'm not talking about salvation. Believers are saved and then believers are invited to be disciples. And there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to discipleship. There's a decision to be made. Are we willing to die to self and follow the Lord no matter what? It's fascinating when you begin to read through what the cost of discipleship is. Stephen is a disciple. He's a follower of Christ. He's willing to die for the faith. And in so doing, he is like this grain of wheat that falls into the earth and dies. And then 
God does a miracle. He uses Stephen's life and the testimony of Stephen's life and certainly the testimony of his death to bear fruit, much fruit. Verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking. They began to share to the Greeks also, meaning to the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. They began to evangelize even the Gentiles. Some began to teach the Jews. Even though they were in Gentile cities and even though they were coming in contact with Gentile people, they stayed with what they were comfortable. But there were others who began to proclaim the gospel to people that they weren't very comfortable with. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Thirty-five times the phrase, the hand of the Lord, is used in the Bible. It's fascinating. I looked it up. I just got captured by that phrase a little bit. Only three times in the New Testament. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? And Luke is the one who writes each one of those times. It's found once in Luke. It's found twice in the book of Acts. The hand of the Lord. It's used in a positive way and in a negative way. It's used to say the Lord is with you or the Lord is against you. The idea is the power of God. God's power. His hand. If he's with you, then he is all powerful and he is the one at work in the midst of the circumstances you may be in. If he's against you, I don't know that I'd want to be in that category. The power of God. God's mighty hand is with them. What are they doing? Luke makes it very clear that some of these individuals are going to the Gentiles to share the gospel. They're speaking the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in Christ alone. That The grace of God has been revealed through Jesus Christ. And salvation is by faith in Christ. And it says that the mighty hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, is with them. And many believed and were turning to the Lord. I love that, don't you? Folks, when we, when we began to share Christ, when we begin to walk in the midst of life, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, even in, in situations that may be uncomfortable for us, because we're not used to being around a certain group of people, or, or maybe it's in a situation that we're not real comfortable in. It's not something that we're secure in. But in the midst of that, we proclaim Christ as he leads, empowered by him. His hand is with us. I love that. God is the one that leads us. He guides us. He empowers us. He sustains us. He encourages us. He gives us wisdom in everything that goes on. We can trust him. In that, God is using these individuals in order to share Christ, and it's a direct result of the persecution that has taken place through the life of Stephen, because of the life of Stephen. Stephen dies, persecution breaks out, God begins to take his people, those believers, and spread them throughout all the regions. Some of them are sharing with other Jewish individuals, some of them begin to share the gospel with the Gentiles. The Lord is at work in these believers as well as through these believers and amongst the unbelievers. I wonder if we've caught that. 
Do you realize that the Lord is at work in our lives? He's at work all around us. He desires to work through us. And he's already at work in the lives of people that don't know him, drawing them, desiring for them to come to know him. We can trust him. This is his work. Salvation's his plan. Salvation's what he is able to accomplish. Are we a part of what he's doing? Is God transforming us? Are we being transformed by the Lord? And through us is his word being proclaimed. And are we trusting him to lead us and guide us and place us into the right positions with regard to people that don't have any hope? And are we willing to give an account for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus? That's what was taking place in the lives of these people. And it all started with Stephen's death. Nobody could have foretold that. Nobody could have foreshadowed that. That wasn't a plan that they came together and had a committee meeting about. This was something God orchestrated. God's the one that sovereignly allowed the persecution in order for the diaspora, the spreading of the believers into all the regions so that they would take the gospel everywhere they went. And they were willing to proclaim it. They were willing to teach I think the pattern's interesting here, and it's, it's interesting in the rest of the New Testament. You can see this over and over again. There's the teaching of the word, right? Who God is and, and who they are in Christ, who we are in Christ. When the word of God is taught, there's an opportunity to interact with the Lord Jesus Christ through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who uses the word of God in order to grow us and transform us in order that we would be renewed in our minds. There's the teaching of the word of God starts with that. There's a transformation that takes place. As we say yes to the Lord and receive the word of God, as we say yes to the Lord and allow the word of God to have its way within our hearts, God begins to transform us. God begins to change us. Our activities and our actions, everything about us begins to reflect him. As disciples, there's a willingness to follow him. As a result, there's a transformation. There's a will issue here of responding to the word of God. Do we know who God is? Do we know who we are in Christ because of what he's declared us to be? And are we being transformed in that? Well, when that happens, there's conflict. There's trouble that begins to take place. Not only in our own flesh, but sometimes also with the world. Because people close to us, people around us suddenly begin to recognize that we're changing. And boy, sometimes that doesn't allow them to be very comfortable because now they've got a decision to make. Are they going to change too? Are they going to allow the word of God to have his way in their lives? Or maybe it's unbelievers who don't want anything to do with the word of God. They don't want to do anything to do with Christ. And so persecution begins. There's teaching, there's a transformation, and then as God begins to change us, there's conflict, there's trouble, and then we have an opportunity to share a testimony. And folks, hear me on this, it's not just with words. Our testimony, yes, can be with words, but if our lives don't match what we say, then our words are worthless. In the midst of conflict, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficult circumstances that the Lord allows. What is the the message of our life? What is the witness of our life? Is there peace? Is there joy? Is there love? 
When we say that God is transforming us, God is at work in us, God is desiring to work through us, does it show? Does Christ reflect through all that we are and all that we're doing? And I think what's interesting at that point is as God begins to share his testimony and effect through our lives, And people begin to recognize the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And there's a turning to Christ. There's a belief in him. The Lord begins to use the witness of our lives, the testimony of our lives, in order to share himself with those who don't know him. And there is an opportunity for people to come to know Christ. See this over and over again. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. There's the teaching. There's the teaching. Go back. First 11 chapters are all about who God is and who we are in Christ. That it's by faith. It's not by works. We've been justified in Christ. Now we're being sanctified in him. We are being made into his image. Made in the likeness of God. God is with us. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. There's the transformation. There's the will issue. Are we going to follow the Lord? Are we going to walk with him? It says acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The opportunity to serve the Lord, to be transformed by him. Not conformed to this world, but rather transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. How does that take place? By getting into the word of God and making sure that we understand the first 11 chapters of Romans. And all the messaging there. So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's our testimony. There's our testimony. Those who came to know Christ have been impacted indirectly by the life of Stephen. As the Lord used his death in order to produce much fruit. Are we learning to die to self so that the life of Christ may be seen in and through our lives, that he may produce his fruit through us? Is that true of us? Are we learning as disciples? I'm not just talking about believers now. I'm talking about believers counting the cost, willing to follow the Lord no matter what. Everything that I own is the Lord's. I am the Lord's. It's not what I want. It's what he wants. It's not my time. It's his time. Right? You can go through the list. Not my treasure. It's his treasure. Are our hearts yielded to Christ? And are we willing to follow him in everything? Are we learning to die to self so that his life may be seen in and through our lives, that he may produce fruit through us? Because that's his desire. That's what John 15 is all about. Well, there's Barnabas. Stephen sacrificed. Stephen gave his life, and we see the results of that. Barnabas comes on the scene, verse 22. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. You know, I, I can't help but make a joke about this, but boy, do they got big ears, don't they? I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. When Cornelius came to Christ, man, they were waiting for Peter when he got there. I mean, somehow these people had some kind of a, uh, of a line uh, in terms of communication that was remarkable. This time, thank the Lord, it's a good thing. The news about them reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Many of these Gentile believers had come to know Christ. The church in Jerusalem finds out about it. Evidently, the apostles were out spreading the gospel throughout all the regions. So they choose Barnabas to go off to Antioch. 
And then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Barnabas, his encouragement, son of encouragement, right? Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we learn that he's of Cyprian birth. He's a Jewish man, but he was born in a Gentile world. So he understands Antioch. He understands that world. He he recognizes it. He's not fearful of it. It's not unfamiliar to him. They send him in order to find out what's going on. And it says specifically here that he witnessed the grace of God. The word witness means to see, to recognize, to understand. Oh, for men who understand the grace of God. When they see it, they know it and they rejoice in it. They see the transparency. They see the goodness of God in it. Barnabas shows up and he sees these believers and he recognizes the grace of God. What a beautiful truth. What an encourager this man was. Says he rejoiced. He begins to encourage them. Are we shocked by that? (laughs) Right? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. I mean, this guy must have been amazing. You could be down and out thinking the world's done, you know, Eeyore moments. Barnabas shows up. You're Superman leaving that place, you know? Barnabas is just an amazing guy. Always encouraging, always coming alongside, always sharing Christ. And that's exactly what he does. He begins to encourage them all. And he says, with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. What a beautiful statement. He comes alongside these new believers. He recognizes the grace of God in their lives. He recognizes that the Lord has been at work. He sees the change that God has wrought within them immediately. And he begins to encourage them have resolute hearts to remain true to the Lord. Resolute means to determine, to purpose, to resolve. It deals with the issue of will and following the Lord in a determined way, being true to the Lord. To remain here means to adhere to, to be steadfast, to stay or continue with the Lord. In other words, believers can drift. If you're studying Hebrews, you get that. Believers can get off course. Believers can somehow, all of a sudden, find themselves pretty far off from where they started. And Barnabas is encouraging them, remain true to the Lord with a resolute heart. Stay true to Christ. He's a good man. It means he was good in a purposeful way. He was actively seeking the good of others. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and faith. We see this pattern in Acts where they were filled with the Spirit of God, indicating the power of God's transforming life within them. And faith, meaning the willingness to be persuaded that what God said is good enough and they were going to trust him in the midst of it. Barnabas is a man that the church needs. We need godly men like Stephen who are willing to sacrifice their lives, that God allowed fruit to be born through that sacrifice in a miraculous, tremendous way, or men like Barnabas who come alongside and they recognize the grace of God and they encourage believers to stay fast, stay steadfast to the Lord with resolute hearts. Trust God, trust God, trust God, no matter what. Don't ever count God out. What a beautiful truth. And I love what happens 
Barnabas knows the calling of Paul. (laughs) And he sees what God's doing in the midst of this church in Antioch, and he leaves and he goes and gets Saul. We see his name transitioned later on to Paul. Verse 25, he says, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul's been in Tarsus. He left Jerusalem because he was under threat. He had gotten saved up in Damascus. He comes to Jerusalem. He was accepted. Barnabas is the one that comes alongside of him. They encourage him, go ahead, go back to Tarsus. He's been there for a number of years. And now Barnabas recognizes this is an opportunity. And clearly he was led by the Spirit of God. It just said that he was filled with the Spirit of God and faith. He was led by the Spirit of God to go get Saul, bring him back to Antioch. Verse 26, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And folks, for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. For an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. The teaching of the word of God for the body of believers is essential. It is absolutely necessary for the health of a church, for the health of individuals and families. Because the word of God is the only thing that changes anything. And when we know who God is and we know who he has declared us to be, we know who we are in Christ And we have resolute heart to follow him no matter the circumstances, no matter the trial, no matter what's going on in our lives. Wow. So Paul comes and teaches for an entire year. In Acts chapter 9, we saw Paul's calling, verses 15 and 16. The Lord said to him, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Barnabas knew this, goes and gets Paul. And he and Paul teach for an entire year. I love that. I think that's profound. Because I think when we look at the health of the church of Antioch and we look at what they did missionally, You cannot take away from this the foundation that they had in Christ because of the teaching of the word of God by the apostle Paul and by Barnabas, the encourager who was encouraging them to be strengthened in the faith, to be resolute in heart. Disciples were first called Christians here and disciples, not simply believers, Disciple is somebody who reflects the Lord. They look so much like the Lord that they reflect him. Christian actually means one belonging to the party of Christ. One belonging to the party of Christ. It was a slur. It was actually a derogatory term. They were mocking them. Oh, you look so much like that Lord. We're going to call you Christian. Somebody who belongs to the party of Christ. (laughs) Dr. David Otis Fuller asked this question, and I think it's pretty profound. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Wow. Well, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Paul's a teacher. 
God uses them in order to strengthen the body of believers. He pours the word of God into their lives so that God begins to transform them and then God begins through this body of believers to take the gospel into the uttermost. Amazing. Then in verse 27, we have an interesting guy, weird name, Agabus. But what's interesting about him, they didn't have the word of God as we do in the sense of written down and the canon of scripture finalized. He was a prophet. And the Lord used him in order to proclaim the word of the Lord through the Spirit of God that there was going to be a great famine. Verse 27, at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit, by the means of the Spirit, through the Spirit. This is not Agabus coming up with this. This is the Spirit of God working through Agabus. That there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. Agabus, a prophet, hears from the Spirit, shares with the believers what's going to take place. Now catch this, because how do we relate to this? We don't, I believe, have prophets today that foretell. We have prophets that forthtell. In other words, if I have a prophetic gift, it is the teaching of the Word of God. It is what does God's Word say? Not, this is going to happen five days from now. Catch it? But Agabus is being used to tell them what's going to happen. Canon of Scripture wasn't complete at that particular point in time. That's a simple explanation for it. If you want to talk to me about that later, go for it, you know. I might be sleeping, but you can can try. What's interesting is they responded by faith to the word of the Lord. They heard the word of the Lord through Agabus, and they respond by faith. Folks, it's no different for us. We hear the word of God and we recognize the word of God through the inspiration of the spirit of God. The question is, are we responding by faith? Do we respond by faith? Do we say, yes, Lord? Yes, Lord. Even when we don't understand, even though we can't figure it out, even though we don't know what the results are going to be, do we recognize the spirit of the Lord speaking through the word of God in order to direct our lives? And are we willing to walk by faith and say yes to him? And they also gave in love. They responded by faith and they began to act in love. Beautiful picture. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. And he clarifies it. But faith working through love. The willingness to respond to the Lord. Faith working through love. Love. They began to respond to the word of the Lord and they began to act in love. And you can see this in how they give. Verse 29, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Speaking of those elders in Jerusalem. There's a pattern here that I think is important. The word proportion means just as or according to the means that each one had. It wasn't a set standard. It wasn't a box that everybody was crammed into. It was according to their means. It was according to how God had blessed them. And they determined, each one determined, each one set a boundary for themselves as to how much they were able to give based on what they had to give, based on their means. 
And the motivation behind it, the word relief, actually means service. It means that they wanted this money to serve the believers in Judea. Beautiful picture. Why do we give money? Because we want that money to be used of the Lord in order for his service to whomever it is used for. Whether it's people in Burma, Uganda, whether it's in Romania, whether it's right here in Jerusalem or in our Judea context. And I think the central theme that is given here, you can see this throughout the rest of the New Testament. They, they give based upon their own ability rather than a compulsory number. Now, I think tithing is a good place to start, folks. I think 10% is a great place to start. But I think the New Testament principle goes way beyond 10%. I believe the New Testament principle is hilariousness. It's sacrificial. When people start to talk, well, I gave my 10%. Well, that's great. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's not. Maybe you should be given 90% and you're only given 10%. You know, we've used this as an excuse for so long it's indescribable. Are we willing to listen to the Lord and follow him and what he wants us to give and understand the scriptural context here? Are you willing to go before the Lord and in freedom that God gives to determine based on how he has blessed you what it is? that you are going to give. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I, I really genuinely, I'm telling you, as a pastor, I promise, one of the things I absolutely hate talking about the most is money. Because the dynamic changes immediately when I start to talk to people about money. It's indescribable. So many of you, and I get it because I have too, have been put under guilt in order to do this, that, or the other thing. Haven't you? Some of you have been through building programs. (laughs) You've signed the cards, the pledges. You've had the phone calls. Where's the money you pledged to get? You've gone through it all, and I get it. And I just detest it. I really do. I don't know if you can tell that or not, but I do. But you know, the truth of the matter is, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. I'm going to tell you something. I'd rather you not give it all if you're not hearing from the Lord on it. I'm I'm serious. I'm dead honest. I know where we are with our budget. I'm not ignorant of that. I'm telling you honest truth. I would rather you not give at all until you hear from the Lord than to do it out of compulsion. Because God loves a cheerful giver. I want to see our hearts so yielded to the Lord that we're sensitive to the Spirit of God that when God brings a need to us, when God has something come before us that we know that we need to be a part of because he's leading in it, that we immediately respond out of the freedom that God gives to us, out of the means that he has blessed us with in order to say, yes, Lord, and with joy because of what Christ has done for us. Not because of what a man tries to get you to do or all the needs that seem to justify everything these days. But rather because of God. Because the Lord called you to do that. 
people of the word, listening carefully, being renewed in our minds, being transformed in our lives, and seen in the activity of giving. To say, I want to respond to what the Lord has to say. I want to follow God in what it is that he wants to do. Wearsby summarizes this up. Everything points to the spontaneity and sincerity of their generosity. This open-handedness in serving others and giving clearly evinces the basic spirit of discipleship. Listen to this. Christ came to serve and to give. Many Christians miss discipleship by an absorbing interest in what others do for them rather than in what they can do for others. The pattern of our Lord is pretty clear in this, isn't it? He came to serve and he gave his life. If we're going to be disciples of Christ, then God in us begins to transform us and we will find that God will always begin to lead us to serve. And it may be in all kinds of different ways. It may be serving in the midst of your teaching. It may be serving in the midst of waiting on tables. Whatever it may be. Putting up Christmas lights. Changing diapers. Praise God. Thank God for people that change diapers. Right? But Christ also came and he gave. And he gave everything. Are we willing to do that? Where are we in our relationship with the Lord this morning? What's God doing in our lives? I want you to hear my heart in this. Folks, we are in the end days. Is there any doubt about that? When you see what's going on in this world, when you see what's happening all around this world, in this nation itself, as the people of God... Are we being transformed by the Lord to the point where his glory, his life is being seen through us? Are we attached to the things of this world? Or are we attached to Christ? And are we willing to follow him with absolute, utter abandonment for the glory of God? That's the question, isn't it? My prayer is that God would be glorified through each and every one of us individually, as families, as well as corporately. So the people would look at us as we enter into the community and all the different areas that God has us serving and ministering and working and active. And they would say, what is that hope that you've got? Tell me about it. And we at that moment are able to say, oh, let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me, what Jesus is doing in and through my life. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.